Hello everyone, my name is Reese Karlinski and this is Young History, episode 131 on Romania. The capitalist country is Bucharest, and the name comes from Roman times when the region was conquered by the Romans. It was called Romanus, which meant citizen of Rome, and the name changed from what it was at the time, which we'll get into, to this to really emphasize that this region now belonged to Rome because that was a controversial thing for that history, which we'll get into soon. And then Romania means land of the Roman citizens, which is always a point of confusion now because people wonder why Italy isn't called Romania because it's the descendant of where, it's the land where the descendants of Romans are today. But, you know, either way, we'll get into that history and we'll explain some of that as we do it. And to get into some cool facts, we'll start with one about the palace. So covering 365,000 square meters, the Bucharest Palace of Parliament is the second largest administrative building in the world behind the Pentagon. According to the Guinness Book of World Records, it is the heaviest building in the world at 12 stories and 86 meters high. It costs today whopping 2.6 billion euros to build, and with its 1,100 rooms are three museums and an international conference center, which all equates to 4 million tons in weight which is unfathomable numbers. Some other facts that Romania has the highest population of brown bears in all of Europe. There are no fewer than 6,000 brown bears here, and that's 60% of the total brown bears in Europe. And the final fact is that Romania's language, Romanian, is 1,700 years old, and Romania is one of the underrated wine countries in the world, ranking about 11th or 12th each year in exports, but it's never really remembered socially as a wine country, despite it making very, very good wine. And I don't want to dilly-dally any longer. We've got a lot of history to hear with Romania and a lot of very interesting stuff. So I'm just going to get on right into it, and I hope you guys enjoy. So one more time, my name is Reese Karlinski. This is Young History, and this is Romania. You guys enjoy this. Our origins begin at an unknown exact date, because pinning down the first people to arrive here is something that archaeologists are spending hundreds of hours and millions of dollars trying to figure out. But we know that the first people were living here at least 37,000 years ago, because that's when the oldest remains are currently in Romania. But we also know that they were part of the Cucuten Tripillion culture of pottery during the Neolithic period. And the people in this culture were a Stone Age farming society. One of the first established societies after this was the Hamangia culture, which lasted from 5200 BC to 3500 BC. Boian culture existed at the same time from 4300 BC to 3500 BC. This was a culture that left behind pottery and sculptures in the region. The Hamangia may have produced the Tartaria tablets, which are controversially regarded as the oldest texts in modern history. The opposition believed that these texts are falsified or that they came from a later Mesopotamian culture rather than this very ancient one that was around 6,000 years ago. Bronze Age and Iron Age. The aforementioned cultures that were present here merged with the Proto-Indo-European speakers to form into three major groups. The Dacians, the Thracians, and the Getai-Gets, which were very populous in the region. The most important was the Dacians, who are the ancestors claimed by the Romanians today, and both in culture, genetics, and daily practice, represent the Romanians best. The Dacians had their own language and eventually adapted it through Latin to become Romanian. Thracians, though, were regionally regarded as the best natural warriors. They used horseback riding, spears, and swords to combat against their enemies. 
And then the Dacians and Getz originally had a similar language and history to each other, but were constantly in conflict over who would control the land. These two groups were also not united under one power, but they were an amalgamation of many clans and people groups. Celts and Scythians moved into the Carpathian mountain region and pushed out the Dacians and Getz for a time. Eventually, some Getz and Dacians united their tribes to battle against the invading powers and push them out. Fighting continued for a decade until the arrival of Burabista. Around 61 BC, Burabista led the different Dacian provinces of the region to unite into the greater kingdom of Dacia. The kingdom expanded to the Black Sea coast to push out the Greek colonies. Dacians were mentioned in Roman and Greek texts for their fighting prowess despite not being a part of either major empire. Under Burabista's rule, the Dacian kingdom expanded significantly. His military campaigns extended the kingdom across most of the Balkans. He made it into one of the most powerful entities in Central and Eastern Europe during this time. The Great Roman Civil War lasted from 49 BC to 45 BC. It was fought between the generals Pompey the Great and Julius Caesar. Burabista supported Pompey, which made him an enemy of Rome after Caesar won the Civil War. Caesar planned to invade Dacia, but him and Burabista were both assassinated in 44 BC by their own men. Burabista was killed because he was seen as a cult of personality that had taken power in the kingdom and not left any power to be shared. The kingdom lost its unity, and the rise of five separate provinces occurred. This lasted until the rule of Decebalus from 870 CE to 106 CE. He was the one who reestablished the kingdom of Dacia. Dacians defeated the Roman Empire near the Danube at the Second Battle of Taipei. One of the main tools in this victory was the falx, which was a curved sword that countered the Roman style of shield fighting. This weapon is a long curved sword, so it has this ability to be swung overhead and hit a shield but still curve down and pierce the skull. So this weapon is the reason that Roman helmets were actually redesigned to have a protective bar across the top because these were so effective against the Romans in these battles. This defeat led to the regions of Rome paying Dacia a tribute every year in order for Dacia to accept status as a client kingdom of Rome. And the reason this is crazy is because Dacia is the one who won, but in order to stop the fighting, Rome didn't want to be seen as the loser, so they were willing to pay out money to Dacia in order to have their reign recognized. And this is also very funny because Dacia must have been looking at them thinking, well, I guess we'll take your money because we won. But they are still quote-unquote under the Roman Empire despite being the victors in the major battles. But this didn't last because Emperor Trajan of Rome didn't accept this status and launched an invasion of Dacia using the full force of Rome. Roman Dacia was established in 1007 CE and lasted until 275 CE. Unconquered Dacians united with Sarmatians to battle against the Romans, but were unable to retake their kingdom. In 275, Roman forces pulled away from the Danube River and left the Dacia province unoccupied. This was until the rule of Constantine the Great, who built a bridge across the Danube and reestablished the province of Dacia. And this earned him the title Dacius Maximus on top of all the other titles this great emperor had. But as the Roman Empire weakened, the Dacian province was abandoned again. The Gepids, who came from the northern Slavic region, united with Attila the Hun to occupy the region. This lasted from 434 CE to 453. While the Attila the Hun Empire was in the region, the empire fell apart due to pressures from outside forces, and the kingdom of the Gepids was formed to fill the power vacuum. Avars, Lombards, and Romans invaded the Gepid kingdom from all sides. The Avars took power and formed the Avar Cognate around 650 CE. The Cognate was cordial with the Eastern Roman Empire in its early days, but started to clash with it due to border disputes. 
Over the next 100 years, Bulgars and Southern Slavs moved to the area and replaced the Avars as the domineering power. The Bulgarian Empire became very prominent around 750 CE as the Avar Khaganate was struck with instability due to outside wars and internal conflict. By 890, the Bulgarian Empire had spread across the Balkan region to become the most prominent power there. Byzantine relations with the Bulgar Empire were very high and low. Sometimes they were allies with great trade exchange, and other times they were bitter enemies that battled with steel. By 950 CE, the Magyars of Hungary had expanded to the Transylvanian Plateau, and the Bulgarian Empire fell due to its weak economy. The Kievan Rus and the Byzantine Empire tariffed the life out of the Bulgarian Empire and also took tribute from them. Once this empire fell, new people arrived on the scene once again. And there's actually two of them. So the first one is a minority group. That is the Roma people, who are a minority group in Romania today, that migrated in from northern India around this time. The Roma were seen as different from the Dacian descendants and the Slavs in the area, which led to them being mistreated, and they've still been mistreated throughout history all the way to today. The Roma were enslaved in large number in this century and would remain as a forced labor population for centuries. The Roma were prized as metal workers and music makers. Romani is their traditional language. It belongs to the Indo-Aryan branch of the Indo-European language family, which reflected Indian origins. The Roma have been mistreated throughout history, mainly because their culture doesn't line up well with the powers that are here, which is very Slavic or very Western European style, as we see with Romanian being very influenced by Rome and, you know, the whole area is influenced by Slavs. This Indian people group coming in isn't approved very well, and there's a lot of mistreatment towards them. So this continues on, but there is a second group here that I want to talk about that arrived at the same time, and that is the Latin speakers. They formed into the Vlachs around 1050 CE, and greater autonomy was established, but stability was an issue. This was also the time of Christianity spreading from Bulgaria to the region. Specifically, Eastern Orthodoxy Christianity took solid roots here. Mongol raids reached Eastern Europe in the 1200s. The Mongols destroyed everything they touched and left half of the country in shambles. The chaos brought by the Mongol invasion caused three states to emerge, Transylvania, Wallachia, and Moldavia. In the south, the Second Bulgarian Empire was established. In the early 1300s, Transylvania and Moldavia were both autonomous states of Hungary. The Battle of Posada was fought in 1330. It saw Wallachia defeat the much larger Hungarian force to gain independence, and this independence lasted for a full century. The this same time period was also wrought with conversion because of the spread of Bulgarian and Byzantine influence that pushed Christianity as part of the culture. Hungary and Wallachia worked together to found a very tight-knit alliance against the Ottoman force that was rapidly approaching. Despite this alliance, Wallachia was defeated in 1417. Wallachia paid a hefty fine to the Ottomans each year to remain autonomous in the Ottoman Empire. And this is also the time of Vlad Tepes III, also known as Vlad Dracula. He was Prince of Wallachia from 1448 to 1477. As a child, he was kidnapped alongside his brother Radu by the Ottomans, and they wanted to use the two boys to keep the royal family of Wallachia in check, so they were bargaining pieces. This inspired a really deep distaste for Ottomans and their influence within Vlad, and he shows that throughout his entire political and military career, as we'll call it. Vlad battled against the Ottomans and was brutal to those opponents. He was so brutal and torturous that he inspired the fictional character Dracula the Vampire. During the Ottoman invasions of 1462, Vlad became the brutal leader the world remembers him as today. He gained the moniker the Impaler by using wooden pikes to impale 20,000 Ottoman soldiers and civilians near his castle. 
This was a scare tactic used to frighten invading soldiers because a person would be defeated but not killed, and then they would have a wooden pike driven from the lower half of their body up through the top and then would be propped up directly vertical so that they slowly slid down the pike until they died. Their screams and all that was part of the scare tactic that Vlad liked, and this also contributed to him being seen as an evil figure. And after these 20,000 people were impaled, this area became known as the Forest of the Impaled because of how many people were there, and that it would literally look like there was trees upon trees of humans now being held up. <laughs> and then his father was Vlad II, and he was a member of the Order of the Dragon, which was a chivalric order dedicated to defending Christianity across Eastern Europe. The order's symbol was a dragon, or Dracul, in Romanian. Hence, Vlad II was known as Dracul, making Vlad III Dracula, meaning son of the dragon or son of the devil. There was also rumor that Vlad drank blood to stay alive and that he ate human flesh because he was a devil spawn. These things made him seem even more vampiric. And despite his notoriety abroad, in Romania, Vlad Tepes is often seen as a national hero who defended his country against Ottoman encroachment and sought to enforce law and order across the realm. Contrary to popular belief, Vlad's rule and activities were mostly in Wallachia, not Transylvania, although he was born in Transylvania in the town of Stengosora. Eventually, Vlad died in a battle against the Ottomans, but his body was never recovered or identified. It's just believed that he died due to him never returning and many soldiers claiming they saw it happen with their eyes. Another great ruler at the time was Stephen the Great. He was a leader of, of Moldavia. He won 96% of his battles and made Moldavia strong and autonomous. I talked about him a lot more in my episode on Moldova, which is a big chunk of Moldavia that eventually becomes this country. So definitely listen to that if you want to learn more about him, but I'll give you some more before we go. And he was the first leader to win a battle against the Ottoman Empire ever, and he was actually named a saint by Pope Sixtus VI and earned the title Athleta Christi, which means champion of Christ. He strengthened the military, the infrastructure, and legal system of Moldavia. The Holy League was formed with Austria as the head to unite Christian European nations against Ottoman influence. But this didn't stop Ottoman influence from reaching Hungary, Wallachia, and Moldavia by the end of the 1400s. Ottoman rule saw the regions maintain autonomy by paying gold, able-bodied men, and resources to the Ottomans. But at the same time, a leader rode to resist this. Michael the Brave ruled from 1493 to 1601 as Prince of Transylvania, and he united Wallachia and Moldovia with Transylvania to create a free state for Roman people in the region for the first time since Dacia was established thousands of years before. The independent state was prideful and united, but didn't last long because Michael was assassinated. His leadership was the glue of this foundation, so the end of him meant the end of the alliance as well. Transylvania was added to the Hungarian Empire once again, and then was taken over by the Austrian Habsburgs. However, this unity created by Michael made him wildly popular and caused nationalism to rise. Early Enlightenment ideas spread to the region from Western Europe in the 1600s. The three provinces started to move away from the medieval ideas that they were raised on. Systems of writing moved away from the church, and power of the clergy was challenged. Romanians were now absorbing culture that came from the West while holding on to Eastern ideas. This is why Romania has Western Orthodox churches right next to French-style homes. The issue was that Romanians wanted Eastern traditions with the advances and growth of Western Europe. So this caused a lot of internal strife and cultural clashes within the nation. The different provinces of the region heavily debated if they should be united or fight for their own independence. This occurred throughout the 1700s, and also in this century, 
there was a lot of change being desired in the hearts of Romanians. Romanian nationalism started to brew in the big three regions. Another change was the theory of Roman origin. Romanians started to connect themselves with the ancient Romans, which created a shared identity with Western Europe. The Russian Empire took over Moldavia in the eastern part called Bessarabia. The borders of Bessarabia roughly became Moldova, the independent nation we have today. Transylvania was then folded into the Habsburg sphere once again. The Russo-Turkish War is the name given to many, many, many conflicts that happened throughout the 1800s. This one was fought from 1828 to 1829. Russia had the largest military in the world and was becoming a strong empirical power. After winning the war against the Ottomans, Wallachia and Moldovia were folded into Russia's sphere of influence fully. There were dozens of protests against the rule of foreign powers over Romanian people. Most prominently was the Wallachia and Moldavian revolutions of 1848. There were success in Wallachia and Moldavia, but none more so than during the Romanian War for Independence. Alexander Iocuza was prince of Wallachia and oversaw Wallachia and Moldovia unite as one and fight against Ottoman rule. This unity became known as Romania. Carol I united the force of Romania under the banner of Russia to begin the Romanian War of Independence. This happened right alongside another Russo-Turkish war. The Romanians were backed by Russia with both troops and money, and this war ended with Romanian victory. Independence was made official in 1881 when the Kingdom of Romania was established. King Carol I of Romania ruled from the establishment year in 1881 until 1914. The eastern region of Dobroja was also brought under Romania's control. Carol I went on to beautify the nation and build infrastructure heavily around the capital. World War I began, and Romania was neutral for two years due to its proximity to the Austrian Empire and Bulgaria. The Russian Revolution pulled Russia's attention out of the region and led to more autonomy. Bessarabia then reunited with the rest of Romania. In 1916, though, Romania joined the war because three million Romanians living in Transylvania were under Austrian rule. Transylvania then joined into Romania's Greater Union, and Romania ended up losing 500,000 people in the war and went on to lose 80% of the land they owned due to partitions. So Transylvania was taken away again. Most of Wallachia fell to another power. Romania was all divided up because... After World War I, it was very different than the Second World War because this time anybody who won wanted revenge, wanted their pound of flesh, and being on the Axis side meant to be torn up by the post-war conferences. Greater Romania was established in 1918 and lasted the entire interwar period until 1940. In World War II, Romania wanted again to remain neutral, but ended up joining the Axis powers. Eventually, the USSR got too close and Romania was bombed by the Allies until their front facing Russia fell. Romania was defeated and shifted allegiance to the Allied side of the war. Bessarabia was then forcibly taken into the USSR, but Greater Romania was not fully made into a Soviet nation. Ian Antonescu led the country at the time and was fed up with the system that led to so many ups and downs to Romanians. He ended up working alongside Hitler to systematically target and eliminate Roma people and Jews. After the war ended, he was put on trial for his crimes against humanity. That is because the Holocaust was truly horrible in Romania. The concentration camps were the worst in the Eastern Bloc. Around 400,000 Jews were killed, and thousands more were deported or fled. So because of this, once put on trial, Antonescu was actually executed for his crimes against humanity. The Socialist Republic of Romania was established from 1946 to 1989 by the Communist Party. King Michael appointed a pro-communist government led by Petru Roza. 
This was done because of a massive pressure from the Soviet Union. King Michael I was forced to step down and the monarchy was dissolved. Opposition parties like the Liberal and Peasant Party had their rights weakened. The Communists eliminated Romanian cultural art and practices. Stalinist policies of restricting rights, using a secret police, and russification were all enacted in Romania. Nicolae Ceausescu governed Romania for 45 years. His main influence was keeping ties with the USSR and implementing the Soviet system. He was a totalitarian and ruled just like Stalin. Stalinist policies of restricting rights, using a secret police, and russification were all doubled down on in Romania. He was a weak economist that led to a widened income gap and unemployment rises across the nation. He also used the country's wealth to build a massive palace for himself. This is the Bucharest Palace of Parliament today. By the late 1980s, Ceausescu had transformed Romania into a police state. Institutions and organizations, even the Communist Party itself, had been eviscerated and had become mere instruments for him carrying out his own personal will. He ordered the death of protesters and secret assassinations of political opponents. His reign was officially challenged with the Romanian Revolution of 1989. This revolution saw the Romanian people unite their power of assembly against the Soviet leader. On December 7th, Ceausescu ordered his soldiers to open fire on protesters in Transylvania. By December 22nd, protests spread to the capital and the army was ordered to stop the protest. Instead, the army stood with the protesters. Ceausescu then fled the capital with his wife, but was arrested on Christmas Day. He was then tried quickly and convicted of mass murder unanimously. Both him and his wife were then promptly executed on the exact same day. In 1991, the Romanian constitution was rewritten to make the country a free market state. The approval by referendum of a new constitution on December 8, 1991, set up a democratic republic. There was a big promise of political stability. Nonetheless, grave problems beset the new government, particularly... There was a huge resurgence of nationalism, which was bad because it made relationships between Romanians and Hungarians living in the same state of Transylvania to become very sour, and there was now conflict. Ultra-nationalist organizations rose, and this became very bad. It also helped contribute to their biggest problem, which was the economy. Being under the Soviet system meant that the economy was not taken care of, and it was very centralized and systematic for simply one part of the government to benefit. That meant that once Romania was fully free from this, it had now it now had to deal with being far behind Western Europe, not having the aid it had, not having the advancements it had, and having to adjust to figure out how to go on. Romania had an inability to find new markets in Western Europe, and this caused the economy to falter even farther. By the early 2000s, Romania had pursued policies that aligned them with Western Europe, such as the privatization of many sectors of business, the advancement of clean election cycles, and a lot of moves to increase the GDP year over year. In 2004, Romania joined the EU. This helped the economy stabilize further and started to shift Romania into the country it is today. The economy took a significant upturn as technology, tourism, and trade sectors were all invested in heavily and Romania worked to become a greater part of the EU. Romania also joined NATO in the same year, which showed that the desire to be close to the Western world was not just a word claim, it was also willing to be backed by military and money. Romania was now a much more secure nation and had a lot of energy and effort to put into its expansion. Romania struggled to move away from the socialist ideas of communist rule. Privatization was controversial and led to resignations in the government because many people benefited from healthcare and other areas being socialized rather than privatized. 
Protests gripped the nation in 2011 when the healthcare privatization when the healthcare privatization policies were expanded. This rolled forward into the 2014 election, when both candidates would have to work heavily to address this issue and address what privatization would look like in this nation. But this election had a lot of other irregularities in it because the voting trends were very up and down and didn't seem to make sense, and they ended up being deemed unfair. A retake of the election was held in November of that same year, and the mayor of CBU, Klaus Iohannis, won the election. One of the hallmarks of his presidency has been his strong stance against corruption. He has supported anti-government measures and the independence of the judiciary, which has earned him praise from the EU and other international observers. This president has been a prominent judicial reform specialist, and he has implemented them with the hope that they will strengthen the rule of law in Romania. He has, he has widely opposed attempts by other political factions to weaken anti-corruption laws because his policy very heavily has been anti-corruption, anti-corruption, anti-corruption. His tenure has seen continued economic growth in Romania, although many challenges do remain. Infrastructure development and income inequality are two big issues in the country, but he is trying to allocate money to make it work. The president has been a strong advocate for Romania's place in the European Union, emphasizing the importance of EU values and unity. He has also focused on strengthening Romania's role in NATO and has supported increased defense spending and cooperation with Western allies, especially as the issues have arisen in Ukraine. Moldova, now an independent nation, was once part of the Moldavia territory in the past. In recent years, both Romania and Moldova have seen a huge surge and reunification movement efforts from different people groups within the nation, within both nations, I should say. And with all that being said, all the ups and downs, the issues of the economy, the current president, all that yada yada yada, that gets us to the present. Romania is a very advanced nation and is considered highly developed on the Human Development Index. Romania has turned around its economy, political system, and stability since the fall of the Soviet Union. Elections are considered free and fair overall, but the nation faces issues with corruption and the oppression of the Roma people. Romania is a storied nation with influences from around the world within its borders. If Romania is able to continue its path towards growth and separation from the Soviet times, a beautiful and free country is definitely on the horizon. And with that being said, I always like to do a takeaway or a mindset from the history we learn at the end of the episode. And with Romania, I'm going to say, hold on to who you are while you grow. With Romania, this one's very easy because they've had their culture and language set for almost 2,000 years. The Dacians are the backbone of early Romanians. And no matter how many Roman empires, Byzantines, Ottomans, Russians, Germans, yada, 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 that have come in and out of this land and empires have stepped on the people in this land, the culture established by them has always remained, no matter how much the people have needed to grow. Romanians have held on to their Eastern Orthodoxy and anything else that made them who they were while they reached out to Western Europe to get their advancements. So I say Romania is a perfect example of holding on to who you are and not giving that up while still advancing and growing and becoming something greater without losing any of that. I say you can do that for yourself because some people get caught up in the mindset that, you know, they're in a friend group that has these issues or they relate because of these things and they don't want to pursue the path towards growth if it means losing certain things or people. And that comes back to, you can still grow and become great as long as you don't lose those things that make you you. If you're worried about losing friends or losing connections, 
two people because you're growing and getting into a new area of your life, then that just shows that the people around you only like you for what they have from you, not who you are, which means you don't need them, and which means your path towards growth will probably have them cut out for a good reason, and it's very intentional and is necessary. So anybody who truly cares isn't going to mind that you're changing and growing and all this, and anybody who does mind doesn't really matter. So just keep that in your mind and think about it with Romania, where they've had to go through hundreds and hundreds of years of up, down, and change and growth and all this to become the nation it is today, but they've still held on to the culture that has made them who they are and never let it go, no matter how hard things got. So continue to do that with yourself, and I feel you will live a pretty darn good life. And with that, that gets us to the very end, where I always like to just say goodbye, wrap it up, and say I really did enjoy this one. Romania took a lot of research because there's been so much recorded here and you have famous figures like Vlad and Stephen the Great. So it was a very fun one. And the last hundred years in this country have been very up and down, but few have turned it around like Romania has. So I'm very glad I got to do this one today. And with that, I'm just going to say goodbye. So one more time, my name is Reese Karolinski. This is Young History, and that was Romania. You guys have a good one.